Welcome back to the Buddhist Millionaire Podcast. I am Matt Jardine, your host and author of How to Be a Buddhist Millionaire, Nine Practical Steps to Being Happy in a Materialist World. Have you read it yet? I'm going to keep going on until you've read it. Well, if not, it's available in all good bookstores and, you know, online, the usual suspects. A little bit of uh, housekeeping before we get going. As you know, this podcast is powered by coffee and very little else. Certainly not talent on my side. So if you like what you hear, please go ahead and buy me a coffee at my Buy Me a Coffee page. The link is in the description below. All right, what's been happening since the last show? Uh, um, quite a bit. I finished draft two of my new book. Quite happy with that. It was kind of structure change. There wasn't too much to fix, which is a good thing. Um, and I'll tell you why. The Panthers will not want to hear this but it's because I planned this one pretty well. Okay, that'll upset half my audience. Anyway, we'll clean it further through drafts and three, then it will go to essentially the two most ferocious women in my life, editor and agent. <laughs> By the time they've got it, they'll no doubt set fire to some hoops to make me jump through uh, before it goes elsewhere. All right, what else? Um, actually, this is exciting. With this episode, we'll be launching a featured friends section from this one then everyone after for those who've read uh, who follow the cast and who've read the book you'll know that i'm a huge supporter of small business and and basically anyone who's kind of trying to do a work life filled with passion and, and trying to make a success of it so we'll um we'll start with this one then and every other one we'll give someone a shout out a small business or someone a shout out and hopefully that gives them uh, a little bit of a platform so we'll do that kind of halfway through the show show stay tuned all right here we go then speaking of books and business that brings me on to today's very special guest he's a major figure in british publishing CEO of Hachette UK, the UK's second largest trade and educational publisher. He's also president of the executive board, was vice president, but now president. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I saw that. I was like, oh, that on the wiki, it's, it was vice, but he's president of the executive board of the Publishers Association. Now, those things are all very impressive. Great. But that's actually not why I asked him on today. Um, the real reason is that whether he knows it or not, he's a perfect example of a Buddhist millionaire in that he is doing work that he loves and making a real success of it. Um, and also from my perspective, at least, he's putting uh, care and compassion back into the corporate workspace, which is no mean feat. And I wanna to touch on that a little bit. So please welcome my guest, the ever inspiring Mr. David Shelley. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. That's such a lovely introduction. I, I really don't feel worthy. So um, that, but you that, know, that, was, that was very all nice. True. All true. All true. Let, let's let me just add some context to the listener and then we'll they'll know while we're here. Right. Uh, it, I'm going to speak about this email. So you guys listening. Right. This is why this is what happened. I am. So very quickly, How to Buddhist Millionaire was published by Short Books, which is now part of Hashem. Fine. So at the end of 2021, what are we, 2022 now, 2021, I got a corporate email. You know, those faceless corporate emails, which mostly you don't read. Well, I read this one and I read it and there's, you know, a CEO at the end, David Schiller. And I read it and I thought, actually, this is really interesting. And there's something about the way this is written that this guy, essentially, David would be my boss, I guess, one of them, really cares. And I couldn't get it off my mind. So I shot back an email to say, thanks very much. Really nice to be part of the family and for taking the time to let us know what's going in the industry. Honestly, I did not think that email would reach 
any anyone or anything. You never, you know, you don't think they really do. About a minute or so later, email back to thank me. And in my head since is someone who is clearly passionate about what they do and care. So that's how we met. And then I basically said, would you come on the podcast? So here, here you are. So yeah, that's, that's how we got, we kind of hooked up, isn't it? It, it, it is. And yeah, I mean, I mean, from my side, I sort of, it almost feels like the easiest thing to do to, to write an email or, or, or whatever. So um, yeah, I, I almost can't, I almost can't imagine not doing that, you know, sort of not replying to do someone nice who, who, writes like you did and it's very rare though you know in, in, really? the, in big business it's very rare because it you know and we'll talk about this a little bit later but as, as often as business gets bigger the people within it start to become less important they kind of you know fall under the wayside for money and stuff and you doing that is it makes a massive difference so i thought maybe we kick off today with a little bit of a background about who you are where you're from maybe we could start at your mum and dad's bookshop that might be useful. Give us a little bit about who yeah. you are, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. I mean, I mean, I've always loved books. And part of that is, yeah, as, as you just said, I grew up, my parents ran a bookshop, a secondhand bookshop in, uh, in a town in Sussex called Lewis. Um, grew up above it, always tons of books in the shop uh, to read. And then on top of that, oh, I remember, you know, sort of going to the library several times a week as well mm. to get out the maximum number of books, sort of the, the whole thing family uh we're all absolute sort of book addicts so kind of then you know rather I mean rather predictably I suppose went on studied English at university really passionate about that uh really passionate about fiction and poetry and um uh you know all sorts all sorts of books and then really after university couldn't couldn't think of wanting to do anything else apart from work with books did you want to write did you fancy the writing side of it I, I think you'd probably struggle to find many people in publishing who didn't have some vague literary aspirations yeah, and yeah. who hadn't tried writing. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, at very at various points in my life, that's been been something I've you know sort of thought about or been interested in. I do think the one thing about when you work in publishing with amazing authors is you quickly realise your own limitations as a writer, mm. uh, and and you realise the sort of special quality that that writers bring to it so 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 i'm very happy as a publisher rather than a writer yeah 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 no it's it's incredible and also here just looking at some of you you were the first in your family to go interesting i just saw about university three episodes back we had lewis jones who was uh, was essentially the first black belt in my martial arts school one of the first kids no he was the second right, yeah. second lad i gave a black belt to and, and he went to he was the first in his family to go to university and 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 very very similar he's kind of on a similar path he actually studied not english but german literature um oh, well. which is like a that was I, I heard some of the things he had to do which was fairly fairly intense all right so let's have a look then uh, let's deal with this caring in the i've in my head i've got this as caring in the corporate right and i, I love this uh daily telegraph in 2019 said that you said writers come first even before business I like that. And that's now writers aside, that's quite rare to hear in the corporate workspace. Um, listeners and, and David, maybe for you, Buddhist millionaire, you need to you don't have to be a Buddhist or a millionaire to be one. <laughs> the Buddhist part is just a life of meaning. You know what I mean? Symbolized mm. meaning. And the millionaire is just you're successful. I and mean, there's often a, a scale at, the, at one end is the, you know, desperately happy, but broke creative 
yes, darling, I'm doing great, not making a penny, but love it. And at the other end is the, I know, the rich banker who tortures puppies for fun, you know, and somewhere in the middle is this, is the Buddhist millionaire stuff. Now you're interesting. A lot of people try and move away from the corporate workspace, but here you are smack in the middle of the corporate world, essentially giving it some heart, some kind of humanity. That's the feel that I get as, as a, an author for your company. And I, I love that. And I want to talk to you about how you are managing to do that, how you're bringing the heart to the big workspace, which can often feel faceless. I mean, well, it's really nice of you to say that. I, I, I think the, the thing I love about the publishing business is that it's it's where the creative meets the commercial. So it's 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 the two things, and the way they intersect is is the thing that really energizes me um, and really interests me. Yeah. Um. And it and it's the thing that I've so I, as I said, I came into it as a lover of books. And what I came to absolutely realize about myself and, and love about the business is I love it when a book sells lots of copies. You know, I, I love reaching lots of readers with something. I love it when something explodes into a, into a huge success, which, of course, makes money for the company yeah, yeah. And, 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 and fuels the business. In my, in my mind, we have there is no business. It doesn't it doesn't exist without writers and books and writers and books don't exist or, you know, wouldn't come to us if we're in an environment that is cold or corporate or sort of, uh, I don't know, sterile in that, yeah, in that yeah. way. It's very, very, so, so always for me, and, and, you know, right from almost the first day in publishing, it's kind of, it was really clear. The, the number one thing that we need to do is to be able to nurture creativity. And I, I sort of see my, my major role here is is helping creative people, whether they be authors or editors or designers or whoever, to do their best work. So creating an environment where people feel comfortable, people feel themselves, people feel whatever, because the better creative work that people do, the more readers will reach and the, you know, the better our business performance will be yeah. as well. So it's this for, for me, it's always this kind of virtuous circle. Yes. So um it's, it's interesting sort of you say it because that's what sits at the heart of Buddhist millionaireship. You know, the, the oh, really? loving what you do, but also it's not enough to just love it. You want to you want it to be successful, right? You know, no one wants to write a manuscript that sits in their drawer and you say to your mom or dad, I finished a manuscript. Well, that, that's cool at one level, but ultimately you want it to be read and beyond that, you want it to be enjoyed. And that's not about glory. It's just we all love knowing that something in us can be abundant i think i, I completely agree with mm. you. i like that where creativity meets what did you say commerce commerce i love that that's absolutely bang on now listen what about this then you know you, we see this and, and in your um, when i've researched stuff these little publishers that start in garages and houses and the passion is obvious but there's a point a threshold isn't there where it's very tempting, especially when things go big and corporate, for money to take over, for when others come in who might not have been so passionate for money to be the big driver. You know what I mean? I, I've been in a couple of work environments where I've seen that happen. How do you, you know, keep those people at bay, people on the board or wherever, not your board, but in general, who, who might be a little bit more focused on the money? And how do you keep bringing them back to, listen, it's all about the art and the love and the passion? It's a really good question. I mean, I would start with actually with um, the guy who appointed me in my role, the very brilliant uh, guy called Arno Nuri in Paris, um, who was the, the head of Hachette Livre at that time. 
And his philosophy was really putting creative people at the heart of the business. And I think that was a very smart philosophy because it means that you, the vision is that vision rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, uh, I don't know, a creative business can be led by a finance director. I have nothing against finance directors and there are some very brilliant finance directors. (laughs) But but in my view, sort of someone who really gets writers and gets the creative side can hopefully make sure that that's the, that's the guiding force. My, yes. my, my philosophy, I guess, is that if you create the right atmosphere where creative people can do their best work, then the money follows. So, 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 I mean, which is maybe not a very business-like way to look at things. I can obviously, you know, I obviously know my way around the balance sheet. I, I, I know the numbers very well, but I think we we will we will always produce the best results if um, we foster creativity, and then that 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 just drives that drives the business performance. If you start with saying we need to achieve this, how many writers do we need to publish in order to do that? What do we need to do? That, to my mind, I've seen I've seen that happen in our industry, and I don't think it works very well. Mm-hmm. Um, what what tends to work is creating this environment, almost like this club type thing. That, that people feel able to express themselves in. And, and our, our business, the, the, the other full bit of my philosophy, I suppose, is that we are a really huge business. There's about 2,000 people who work here. Right. But actually, what we are also is a collection of small businesses. So there are lots of different imprints. We have 12 different divisions of publishing, and within them, there are different imprints. So your publisher, Short Books, that that is a brilliant small team, yeah. um, as I yeah, I'm sure you yeah. you, you know that. Love those um, guys down at Short Books. They're perfect. Yeah, they're, they're great, and and they do their thing, and everyone does their thing. And I don't get, I and managers don't get involved in the books that Short Books want to acquire or how they want to publish them or whatever. Because yeah. in, in in my mind, you know, we'll produce the best results if we are this like federation of almost like federation of small publishers. Yeah that share these central like, a, like a, almost you know. a natural network isn't it it doesn't become yeah. like run by this and now I, I knew i knew that's why i wanted to speak to you. it's absolutely at the heart of what i feel in buddhist millionaire when i when i first went to short books i said uh, uh, <laughs> this book actually only needs to be about a page long which will not please you or anyone else it needs and it's just, just going to what you said there it basically is follow your passion right with 100% commitment, and the money sticks to it. There, that has been my experience through through life, and by, I am by, by speak to my wife about this. I am certainly not ex, an exceptional human being. So if it, you know, but I have followed the passion, and and success and money seems to stick to it. And there you are saying that. Now I went to short book as a little independent. This is talking about how you know, kind of that community vibe, and my career before this is I was a tennis player. And, uh, and, and I ended up playing tennis with editors, my editor. It was, it was brilliant. So that was fine. So then when I first found out that short books had been taken by um, Hachette, I was like, oh, no, I hope it doesn't lose that kind of close short book for me, a short book, short booky vibe. And that's why when I got your email, I was like, 
It really hasn't. That's amazing that in a, in a, a company with 2,000 employees, like you say, it's still keeping that kind of natural network. That is no mean feat, though, David. I think for you and whoever else is behind that needs credit for that, because that is not an easy thing to do. Bearing in mind, I realize there'll be people in the back pushing for a slightly more hardened, you know, maybe not at yours, but in corporate in general, pushing for that hardened. It's all about the bottom line and the Excel and whatever it may be. It's impressive. It's very impressive. Well, that. That's right. I, I do feel, I suppose, that creative businesses, when when they when they do going well, have a really distinct flavour, or, or or need to, you know, are because because you've got you you've got to nurture you've got to nurture that hmm. that side. It's this sort of delicate. It's this really delicate ecosystem. You've yes. got to nurture that. Otherwise, it's not like producing. I don't know jars of marmite or or whatever. It's it's real people, you know, and I think I think having worked with writers as well, and you as writers, you know, like writers are real people with feelings. And, <laughs> that's um, that's got to be a bumper sticker. Writers are real people with feelings too, <laughs> you know. But 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 you are the producer. You are the people. You're not a conveyor, you know. So like like again, to take the marmite example, like what's producing marmite is a conveyor belt of different things. It's a it's a technical process, yeah. mm. and and it's the marmite that drives the profits of the company. You know, the marmite in this case yep. is is created by human beings from their imaginations and their their feelings and and things like that. And so you can't treat those two things in the in the same way. So I think as a creative business in particular, and I don't know if I were if I worked, you know, as a marmite creator, um, where, you know, whether I'd feel the same way. But in this business, it's like everything everything has to be about the human. Yeah. And and. And not and not about the pro the, the process and the financials have to respect the human, if that makes well, sense. Well, they got to, they have to work together. So here's the thing then. This is very interesting. And and knowing that there's so much respect coming from from your end, we'll call that the corporate end. I know you're much more than that, but let's call it just just for the sake of this conversation, the corporate end, down to the kind of the kind of the, <laughs> the fluffy end, you know, the uh, writers have have feelings too. I love that. Um, but do you find sometimes that uh, writers and authors and creatives actually don't pay enough attention back up the other way? They don't realize actually you have a responsibility. This is a partnership. This is not yeah. you giving me a deal that we're in this together. We are in a relationship. You and me are in a relationship. I owe it to you to be successful and you owe it to me to be successful, but we must meet halfway. It's not enough for an author to go. There's my book, sell it. I'm going to do nothing else. Do you find that that can be a struggle for authors sometimes or, or, or any sort of creative? I think, I think it's all about, yeah, the relationship and the communication. I think in my experience, I think it always goes best as a publisher if we are really open with authors about this is a partnership, you, you, you are the creative talent, um, but, but, but not trying to, I think... I think I think some creative industries, including publishing, in the past, have almost uh, dealt with dealt with their creative um, talent in a sort of soft and fluffy way. No. I, and actually, I don't think that's right. I, I think I mean because the other thing I'm saying, writers have feelings, but also writers are business people as well. Like yeah. that, the, their writing is their business. That's their means of earning money. And yeah. I think it's really important as a publisher also to respect that and respect the writer's commercial views and and um and and to find a pathway through that so so um so it's not all about just saying you're you know you're amazing your book's wonderful 
it's also sometimes having a really open conversation about money um, and how the how someone might you know if someone wants to sell more books how they could sell more books yeah. how we can work together on that you know on you know whatever that is and doing particular publicity writing particular books whatever yeah um but 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 the most energizing and best conversations i've had with writers are where we just cover both it's like you know this is your uh, the, the writer is a creative but the writer is a business person so yes, you know in well. a sense i mean for for, for for you as well, I guess it's yeah. where creativity meets commerce, right? Yeah, like, no, absolutely. And I and I love both those sides. And I always wonder. May, maybe you do. Maybe you do. I have no idea. But I always, I wonder if it's often useful to have a, a kind of section of training inside um, publishing that authors could tap into. That is like a, a, a guy, you know, video tutorials on upping your game. You know, realizing this is a business as well. Start your own podcast or whatever it may be, or or go to book fairs. And so they go, oh, I hadn't really because I do think some people. I, I didn't come from writing first. You see, I came from a sports background, then taught, and then had businesses. So I come and and have always written. So I didn't start off like that. So then I come to it with a business head. So I expect I expect you to expect me to make money. Does that make sense? As I expect yeah. you to, you know, it's both ways. But I do listen to some authors, especially in the writing community, hashtag writing community. A lot of people thinking, I've done my book. Why am I not famous? And you'd be going, hang on, really? Is you honestly, whereas I think if they had a, a kind of little module of videos where you go, look, this is a this is a part mm -hmm. of your relationship, just work through. Anyway, just, a, just as a thought. Um, it's very inspiring, I have to say. I want to speak to you about leadership as an art form. Because that is uh, now we're getting into kind of Buddhist millionaireship 101. Uh, you looking at here, you've been on the Progress Thousand list, London's most influential people. That's 2016. Um, 2017 and other years named in the Financial Times annual outstanding list of LGBT executives. You've got recognition for being a leader. And, and from, from me, you know, I can feel that. I want to talk to you about courage. <laughs> because I'm, I'm from a community of martial artists, right? Where we'll throw around this word, you know, you know, courage and battle and all that sort of stuff and all that nonsense. And really, I find what you are doing is courageous. Having the kind of the gumption to, as you say, keep heart in a big business where you know people around you are trying to potentially steer it to something more regular. Where do you find your courage to do that? I mean, it's... it's it's a big deal. And I'm not sure you know how big a deal that is. It's great. Um, I don't really. I, it doesn't feel like a big deal to me. I suppose one thing I've learned over the years is that I only find real satisfaction at work when I'm doing what feels intuitively right to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I know people are wired in different ways and some people are more sort of intuitive. Some people like to look at facts and figures before making decisions. But for me, like my intuition is very, very important to me and sort of going with my gut instinct and my gut instinct. I, 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 I get more pleasure and energy when I'm going with my gut instinct and my gut instinct, I guess, is to be you know, to try and do this in a human way to, to, to do it like that. So for me, it doesn't take any courage at all. It's, it's, I don't, I would find it very hard to do something else. So, and I have in the past, I think, tried to sort of, you know, metaphorically wear the suit and kind of be a certain way or yeah. to do a certain thing. Yeah. And that for me requires a lot. I, that takes a lot of energy from me. I don't enjoy it. I find That's it draining. Stressful. I find it quite stressful. Yeah. Like, like, so whereas just being myself feels 
uh easy like it just feels easy it doesn't take any energy um i i enjoy it i enjoy going with the gas i enjoy just doing my thing so 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 for me it's that's the that's the easy thing i, I guess that's the thing i've learned over the years and that um the most powerful thing often you could do and the most energizing thing is just to be yourself um it, but it, but it, but that is i mean and, that's, that's amazing uh, yeah. but it's hard right that is easier said than done for sure, I think, because a lot of people, one of the things they struggle with is being themselves. Have you have you always been that sort of intuitive person? Do you do you kind of have um? you don't have to give me details, but do you have a sort of like a, a spiritual background, religious background? Do you have things you, like for me? I I'm not an I'm not an anything. I'm not an ist or anything. But if I had to turn to something, it would be a kind of Buddhist philosophy. Do you have yeah. something you've leaned on that help you kind of follow your intuition, or is it something you've always had? Well, interestingly, I, I yeah, I, I don't. I'm not an ist at, at all. But I have, you know, the last few years I've done quite a lot of meditation. Right. Um, and I'm very interested. We've published some great books on mindfulness, and I actually take a lot from the books that we publish here they've they've enriched me um a lot there's a book called mindfulness by mark williams we published a few years ago that really really resonated with me so i suppose i i think something about the practice of that has helped me to connect definitely um quite deeply with the intuition i don't know exactly how it works or what the neuroscience is behind it or what what it is but um that that i think has definitely been the, the sort of practice of meditation and mindfulness and i know it sounds very poncy but it, it is i find it genuinely helpful i i think it helps me to connect with uh that sort of deep mysterious intuition that i i feel always some somehow guides me in in the right direction i cannot agree meditation has been i um very quickly listeners have heard this before uh I, when i was 14 or so got off a bus got beaten up by some people from other school it wasn't a big deal but it essentially, my father said that kind of ended my tennis career. I wasn't quite the same. Anyway, I started carry, carrying a knife. This is, all, this, this is a long time ago. Right? I'm 50 now. I was 14, 15. Anyway, until my brother went, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Anyway, that, my point there is, sent me to um, Sogar Rinpoche, Buddhist center uh, in Caledonia Road. And I've been meditating essentially every day since I was about 17. And I would say almost all the good things that have happened to me have come because of that. Just as you said, I'm not particularly sure how it works, but it definitely tapping into something quiet helps you realize there's something much, much bigger. And that then inspired the pilgrimage that my first book, which led on to this second book. Yeah. So I can really relate to that. Wow. Interesting. I, 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 I mean, I mean, I think as a, as someone obviously leading, you know, a busy, a busy business with lots of things going on and stuff, I, I also find it immensely helpful in terms of, you know, all everything like being grounded, um, getting perspective, yeah. not sweating the small stuff, yeah, I realize, it, you know, yeah. realize yeah. it, all of that, you know, in this too shall pass, like, all of that stuff. I think, I think it's, it's, I, I, I would recommend it to any, to anyone in any sort of, wouldn't yeah. you like in any stressful I, I, situation? I tell you, I, after this, I'll send you a link to, a, I used to teach meditation in schools, kind of secular meditation. Ah, okay. They asked me because I, I taught martial arts in lots of different schools and they said, can you just give us a basic intro to meditation stripped of all the other stuff? And I said, yeah, here we go. Uh, so I'll send you the link to the video if you find that helpful. Yeah, that would be great. Or whatever. Oh, you already know how to do it. But it, yeah, just to show it's a, it's a skill. It, it doesn't, you didn't need, you can have all the other stuff, right? You can have all the show, all the other stuff. That's cool if you want to do that. But as a simple brain skill, it's incredibly useful. And I would recommend it to 
everyone busy quiet peaceful writers non-writers i think it's absolutely essential that's amazing and that mm. actually to- uh, points a little bit to your i think because i do think they're linked your enjoyment of poetry i think the depths of meditation and the links of poetry and creativity i think they come from the same place personally oh, that's interesting i'd never considered that but yes i mean there's something of the same yeah you have to approach poetry in the same way right it's yeah. meditation i think that's a really interesting point that's a really good that's a really interesting point i never and, thought and of when that. you read great poetry kind of blakes and roomies and it, i know alan watts was not a poet but when you listen to his stuff it always feels very poetic to me you do think that has come out of a really central meditative space to have those sort of insights that's not that's not high street mm. thinking is it that's really deep introspective thinking mm. amazing yeah yeah i completely agree with that um inspirations have you who has inspired you through your through your time oh um i mean there are certain business figures so um you know this guy arno nuri who who appointed me he was he's definitely been a very big inspiration for me um a very inspirational boss um my first boss uh, so so before I was at Ashet, I worked at a really small company called Allison and Busby mm-hmm. that was my first job in publishing and uh and I was then I mean due to a series of events sort of put in charge of it at the, early in my 20s which was a very unusual thing um but I had a very brilliant boss um a guy called Javier Mole who has a big media media empire really um based in he's spanish based in spain in barcelona uh and he and he taught me a lot actually and actually maybe you know a lot of what i'm saying possibly comes from what i learned from him he was someone who i think he did like two phds while while he was running this one of those just one of those for for fun for for inter yeah, just because he can oh, and, and i think that was an interesting you know if that's your role model is someone who has for the, because they love to keep on learning amazing has done two phds yeah just as you for do. their own fun and, yeah. and learning whilst running this no it was sort of like that's a really cool role model for me so i, I think maybe you know what i learned from him was sort of just uh just do it in your just do it in your own way you don't have to be this particular sort of person you don't and he was not you know a corporate person at all but he he owned and you know had had uh developed an enormous corporation so uh so so that was very inspiring and and i'm inspired the, i mean other inspirations i'm inspired by the writer by the books and the writers i think it's very symbiotic mm-hmm. you know and coming on here having this conversation this is inspiring me as well sort of the the conversations that i have with you know novelists with people who write business books who write sort of self-help books who that the um the books that i read like all, all of it i see it as very symbiotic all of the the books we publish is I hope helping me to um, run a better company in a better way. It's time for the featured friend section, the section of the show where we feature a friend. Great name, by the way, guys. Totally see what you did there. So this episode's featured friend is my very good friend, Adam Schofield, and his company called Moojuice. Now, on his LinkedIn, Moojuice is described as a small design agency based in South London, but that doesn't kind of do any justice to what he does. He's an absolute genius content creator. He does a load of different things, but I know him particularly for making high-level 
videos, commercials, promos, etc. that sort of stuff. Um, and he, so all the good videos that we've got on JK is his work. All the, all the dodgy stuff is mine. Um, and he's just finished actually a campaign for, uh, for Queen, the band Queen. Now they found a song, Freddie Mercury called Face It Alone, um, that they'd forgotten about. They found it and he has done the music video for it. So you can see the level of his work in that video. So Adam Schofield, Moo Juice, absolute legend. Take a little look. I'll leave a link to his Instagram page below. All right, let's get back to the show. Amazing. Um, but how old are you? Are we the same age? I'm th- I'm four- well, I'm going to be 50 in December. You're younger than me, isn't it? Okay, yeah, so kind of yeah, that sort of same, same generation. Yeah. I, was just, yeah, I was just trying to go through the kind of the maths in my head. Here's a here's a thing then. Do you ever, as we all do, but do you ever doubt yourself? Do you ever second guess oh, yourself? Yes. And what do you do with it? How does it show up for you? And what do you do with that? Because that's a that's a big stumbling block for people when they doubt themselves and it kind of freezes them up. And and what do you do about that? Um it's a really good question. Like, yes, absolutely. Like sometimes you, I mean, I'm sure as a lot of people are, you kind of, I'm hit by the swing of like, do I really know what I'm doing? Do I really? <laughs> yeah, do am I, I just making it up on the spot? That's I'm my, like, that's you know, what's, you know, this sort of imposter syndrome, you kind yeah. of, what, and, and often it's triggered by one or two things, you know, there'll be some sort of, like, I don't know, we have a poor month of sales or someone gives me some negative feedback or something, you know, a few people do or whatever, or someone leaves the business or what, whatever happens and then 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 kind of hit by this thing um in terms of what i do with that sometimes I, I think i've learned to think well is there okay is there something a, a is there something in that that i can learn from like is there uh, rather than rather than am i a complete failure who doesn't know anything is there actually a development stretch where i could be better at something Fine. yeah that there, there is you know it's not the kind of cataclysmic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. End of the end of the world type of stuff. Yeah. Can I actually flip it in terms of doubting myself? In terms of can I make you know? Can I tweak this bit of how I operate yeah. that would make me more effective? Yeah, I, I think that that's part of what I try and do. And then so like and re- then reframing the whole reframe it. As like, that, and that's something? another discipline, right? Because it's really easy. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna frame that in writing terms because I understand that it's really easy when you, for example. You know, you've done your book, for example, it goes out, agent says, no, no one's come back. Now you, you, you have to say, right, is that because there's something wrong with it? Which, it? which is fine, in which case, tell me what it is and then I will fix it, right? Which is, which is one thing, that's the reframing. Can I, did, you know, did I drop the ball? In which case I can work from A to Z, fine. Or is it just sometimes, and, and this, is, this is finding that balance, is it hasn't found its place in the... Uh, you know, sounds a bit promising. I apologise, but to, in the universe yet, because I do believe in this kind of shifting. And sometimes you just have to go. It's not found its place yet. And I think some things are just good to be left alone. But you do have to have that first conversation. Actually, did I drop the ball? Can I grow from this mistake? You know, did Jeff leave because of me? And if so, can I fix it? Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's really I, I, good. And not to take that too personally. Like sometimes I think. I think it's separating out the sort of valuable lesson from the the sort of hurt child or whatever yes, emotion that, yes. that you're you're having. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's that's a that's a really good point. I want to speak to you a little bit about, um, and this is all part of kind of heart business. I refer to it as uh, about changing the story. 
I like this. There's a couple of things I saw here. Uh, Hachette donates 20K um, to Black Lives Matter. Uh, this is in 2020. And you, it says here, you have been outspoken about the need for inclusivity and diversity in leadership roles in the publishing industry, as well as in books published. I, I love everything that you're doing there. Can you tell us a little bit about changing the story, please? Yes. I mean, I mean, changing the story, that is basically our attempt to, um, as a business, more closely mirror the world that we live in and the, the, the readers of our books, yeah. you know, because publishing is not representative in so many in so many respects, no. you know, either in terms of, you know, ethnic diversity, class, um, you know, disabled representation. There's there's a huge number, you know, women in senior leadership roles that there's a that there's a huge there's a huge number of ways in, in which we're, we're not as representative as we should be. Yep. It came about five years ago, six years ago, um, a, a member of the team emailed me confidentially and she was a young woman of colour and she told me about some experiences she'd had in the business that really took my, you know, I, I thought were wholly unacceptable yep. and were experiences I'd never had as a, as a white man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like things I would... And it really made me sort of think we have to do something here. We have to try and change faster. We, 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 I don't, I don't want anyone to be dealing with this. So um, I set up a, a group of people and, and the, the idea really was that it's, it's a, it's something that runs right through the company. It's one of our four strategic pillars. It's in everyone's appraisals and everything like that, there there is the question: What did you do, you know, to change the story this year? And that that you know, people are people are sort of financially bonused on it as well because I think that's important. And it's important to me that it's something that at my level it's absolutely central to what I want to do, and and I'm driven by it, and the whole board is driven by it, and everyone throughout the organisation, whatever level they are. Um, is you know it, it's a joint mission for all of us yeah, yeah um everyone everyone's allowed to devote a significant amount of their time to it uh we have different employee networks we have eight employee networks you know dealing with different things we've got a pride network we've got a gender balance network right. uh we've got a well-being network we've got and you know we've, yeah, we've whole, got whole five which is, you know but bipoc um like that, that, that there's a and, and we've got over a thousand people in the business, active members of those networks. Wow. So the, the, the idea is it's something that's neither top down nor grassroots, but everything. Right. So, so it's something that senior leadership are totally engaged with. And someone who arrives in the company as an intern is totally engaged with that. We're all in it. We're all in it together. Um, I should say five, six years down the line, I'm still, I still want us to be making faster progress, but okay. we can see that we are on, we can see that there is a journey happening. We can see movement happening, that there are encouraging signs, but we're not where we need to be. And would you say, see, I, I think this is, I think this is fantastic. And one of the reasons I've traveled to Oman, I, we're, I, we were in the Middle East at the moment. We just decided to take a couple of years out. I've tried to shift from nonfiction to fiction. I just, just for that challenge, just why? Just because, just because I want to. My point is it coming to, there are some places that are still so foreign that you feel like Far East, Middle East, you know, like I could go to France, for example, and because we've all done a bit of French at school, you've on the whole, you can kind of pick up language, but some places are really strange. 
So when we came here to uh, the Middle East, it was like, it's quite mind blowing. But I think it's so important to get into other people's communities and cultures because there is no way until you've walked a mile in their shoes that you can really understand. And that, I think, is the issue with is why I think change is so slow. We don't spend enough time in other people's shoes. Like, we don't know what we don't know, do we? You just you have no idea yeah. that a person is going through that. Like I, When I was teaching self-defense to some of my karate girls, when they got to a certain age, about 16, 17, they told me some of the things that they had to deal with in clubs and stuff, right? And I just had no idea that those sort of things went on. So you don't know till you don't know. And I think that's often why things happen so slowly. And it's just a matter of people not, not walking, you know, long or quick enough in someone else's shoes. Which I think is why it's so important that we are represented, you know, representative so that the right people are in the room and it's not just a collection of you know sort of middle class white people speaking to each other yeah yeah yeah. because then then that you so yeah i think that's so important of people you know just an absolute variety of representation backgrounds and different sorts of perspectives and ideas and um you know diversity in, in all respects diversity of thought as well well that's the other thing kicking back to kind of the you know we mentioned at the top of the show creativity that as as for many different as well as kind of you know it, a cynic would go oh it meets the kind of diverse diverse classifications but actually from a humanity point of view that amount of different points of view leads to fantastic creativity well or yeah also i completely agree and also all the neuroscience says that if you're a group of people who've grown up with a similar experience you will take shortcuts when you communicate with each other yeah, yeah. um and actually the, the act of not taking shortcuts and having to sort of explain, well, this is this is why this works, this works, that in itself leads to better conversations yeah. and more challenge and more and leads to better business outcomes. There's a really Absolutely. good Harvard Business wrote, Review. I read a lot about on it. black box thinking. Maybe by Sam yeah Matthew Said yeah uh, Matthew Said absolutely love that that but that sort of thing that people will just kind of keep making I mean they know what they know they don't know what they don't know and just keep making those those um, kind of those same decisions and and not meaning to be um, prejudiced racist discriminatory not actually meaning just not realizing that's what's going on because that doesn't happen in their nine to five that you've got to see outside the box right wow yeah yeah exactly. Um, now I want to, because I'm aware of aware of time, so I want to make sure a lot of listeners um, are kind of listening. Really, we're listening to people who are where they want to be, as in doing work they love and being successful at it. So I want to kind of steal some of your wisdom for these kind of people who want to be where you are, really, whether it's in publishing or whatever they're doing. So I want your thoughts about this: people who lead stifled lives. Right. Why do you think that happened? Why do people get stuck in a rut and not follow or pursue their dreams? Um, why do people get stuck in a rut and they don't pursue their dreams? I, I, I mean, in a sense, I feel I'm very, very lucky because my my dream, you know, my, my, my dream was working in books and that has turned out to be a very rewarding thing. I've seen friends who um, I think I I think sometimes it's about sometimes people get stifled because they've listened to other people too much. Right. Um, I think sometimes society tells you you need to pursue this source of career or a careers advisor or uh, a boss or a family member. I think sometimes 
parents can have a very very big impact on their children's yeah. lives um, yeah. and that, that their, their choice of careers in all sorts of ways, many years, you know, after they've ever said anything. So I think, I think people can sometimes be startled because they listen to other people mm-hmm. and they don't, they, they haven't listened to their own gut. Um, and uh, so I, I don't think it's always, I, I, I mean, for me, it's been sort of serendipitous. I never went into publishing to make money. I never became went into it to be, be entrepreneurial. I never went into it for those reasons. I happily, you know, found found that I was in tune with with those, you know, the entrepreneurial side of it. Yeah. So, um, I th- I think I, I would encourage I would encourage people to sort of listen to the try to get into that practice of listening to your gut. Uh, a, a, a bit and and what we were discussing earlier about the money following that um do you when, I, when you I, when you listen to your intuition do you because i know people feel it differently do you actually feel it as a physical thing or do you hear i know this sounds a weird uh, thing to be on a podcast talk about uh so for example my wife hears it as definite voices in her head She'll ask a question and there will be an answer, right? Where I have much more of a, if it feels like I'm trying to hold up the world with my fingertips and it's and I'm working too hard, it's often wrong. If it flows and it's effortless, it's right. How do you feel? Where do you feel it in you? I feel it in my mood. Okay. So, um, and I guess in things like sleep and hunger as well. So I'll give you an example. The other day, I woke up at 4.30 a.m. I, I normally sleep well. I woke up at 4.30 a.m. I couldn't get back to sleep. Yeah. And I noticed from that, there is a reason. There is something is why I cannot get back to sleep. There's something, and for me, actually, when I need to solve something, or when there's something that's unresolved, then I notice. Like, and, and I didn't know what the thing was, actually, yeah and then over the next few days i was like ah this is the thing that yeah. that's why and it wasn't like i woke up 4 30 thinking about this thing no i it just woke, woke up you yeah. it woke something woke me and and then over the next few days like what is this thing what is this thing i feel upset i feel angry like yeah. i woke up at 4 30 what's going on like yeah. something and then i was like right this is the business issue and then, then then i then i was like okay and then what am i going to do about it and then that sort of came to me and then instantly, I was like, I had a beautiful night's sleep. Like it I didn't feel my, my time, and it's always the, when I have that going on. That kind of unsaid issue, which hasn't quite said, is this is this is absolutely on the money. Two twenty four. It's always wow. two. It's the weirdest thing, right? Because I'm the I'm the same. I can go to sleep. I'll be absolutely ten minutes, not even ten minutes, fifteen seconds. If I do the corpse, you know, the corpse meditation, and I'm out of there snoring. Right, boom. But if, if it's going to be one of those, it's 2.24. I get up like clockwork. And then again, I don't, not necessarily sure of what it is. Here's the thing. Let me ask you about this then. Uh, grasping and letting go. We, we need a certain amount of amoebic movement, you know, to, to kind of reproduce and move forward, you know. <laughs> but at which point do we, because you've, you've used the term, and I love the word, I use it all the time, serendipity, three times. Can there's a degree of kind of letting go and trusting whatever, whatever you trust. I'm a massive believer in that. But that fine line between grasping, going, pushing, sitting down and doing the hard hours, which have to be done, right, and letting go, 
Can you, what's your view on that? When do you stop flogging a dead horse, if you like? <laughs> when is the horse definitely dead? What, in terms of changing direction on something? Yeah, or, or when when you just kind of, like, even with that, for that idea, if you're not sure what the problem is, for example, when do you just go, it'll come, I'll work it out? Or when do you just have to go, no, I have to study, I have to go online, whatever it may be. When do you, where is the balance for you? Um, I think I, 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 things have, I, I find in my head is that things happen quite quickly. Right. So, so for me, um, I'm no good actually, if I'm dwelling on something for so, like, like, like I'll often come like, 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 like the, the answer will come or it won't come. Okay. Um, like I, I'm not someone who can sort of just quietly dwell on something like, like, like it will obsess me for a short period of time. And then I will move on. Then I will move yeah. on. Yeah. And it yeah. won't do any good. And sometimes people have said to me something like, oh, do you want to dwell on this some more? Or let's have some more conversations or let's have another meeting to discuss this. Or yeah. maybe your view on that will sort of change. And and I've and, and I've tried that before and it never it's never it sort of beneficial for me. Yeah. So I've learned now to like, right, I do this thing and I'm all in it. I sort of see my style is I'm all in something. I'm totally obsessed by it. I'm working it out. And then I move on and then I'm doing something else. Something else. And Amazing. I think that, that, well, that's what works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually that that was quite uh, on show. I, I'm the same. I'm all in. I mean, I, I, I'm also a little bit bull in a china shop. I'm going to do it. It sometimes hurts people around me, not on purpose, just because they get caught. <laughs> they get caught in the falling china as I commit to it. But I could see that in our email stuff. I'd messaged you, asked you, yes, dates in three emails, which took about seven minutes. This was set up. And then, of course, the, the details are done through kind of, you know, uh, your yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wouldn't have, it wouldn't, I, and I know myself now, it wouldn't have benefited me to sit on it and think, do I want to do Matt's no. podcast or whatever. <laughs> I thought, like, well, I, you know, I like the sound of you, I like our crossword, so yes, let's do it. I like yeah, doing, do it. you know, I like this all, I like your energy, I like doing, so let's do it. Like, sort of, yeah, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have helped me or you to, for me to, I don't know, wait 48 no, no, hours. No, exactly. But you, but you see that a lot, right? And I get that from not even, I mean, you know, of course, you're a, you're a very successful guy. But I get from real little players, oh, let me think about it for a week. I'm like, it's a conversation. If you think about it for a week, I've moved on. And, and, you know, and I'm talking people who, who I'm not, there isn't a range of importance, but you see what I'm saying. Some people who probably don't need to be thinking about it for a week. Um, all right, listen, last couple of things then. I, I could speak to you forever. All of my life is depended, it depends on this. In the back of my mind, I'm like, would I have coffee with this person? Yes. So if I, be, where are you in London? Yeah. All right, if I ever get back, I'm coming over for coffee. Yeah, come and have a coffee. Like it yeah. or not. <laughs> um, here's plans. What are your plans for the future? They can be business or they can be – I'm just fascinated with you, actually, to be honest. They could either be uh, business plans, future plans. What's what's in the future for, for you? Um, two things are in my head. Um, and one of them is uh, – one of them is about – I think we're at a really interesting moment in terms of publishing and what is publishing – um, we bought, uh, we just bought a stationery company that does these beautiful notebooks called Paper Blanks. Don't, uh, don't even get me started on stationery. If I, once I, yeah, if I had money to burn, it would be on stationery. <laughs> Who doesn't love stationery? <laughs> they're, they're beautiful. I'm becoming obsessed by, I'm becoming obsessed by, and the, the, the founder owner, this guy, Vic Marks, you know, he said to me, you know, you publish books and we publish stationery and it's like, it's publishing. So, 
Um, and we also now publish GIFT. We bought a company called Lawrence King that publishes amazing uh, card games, jigsaw puzzles, wow. whatever. So yeah. uh, what's really on my mind? And, and, and we're reaching so many new people through audio as well. Yeah. Yeah. Audio, audio books become bigger and bigger and bigger and podcasts we're doing. So uh, in my mind, two things. What first is like the, br- the breadth of publishing and what publishing can be that books are, you know, obviously at the heart of it, but there's so many other ways we can be a publisher and we can reach people and change their lives so that's one thing the other thing that's very much on my mind is um which i put as like the consumers of the future um kind of what are i'm fascinated by say at the moment in in book publishing there's uh tiktok is driving a lot of book sales there's a lot of sort of 16 17 18 year olds who are doing these amazing passionate tiktok videos and it's driving a whole new generation of, of book lovers. Yeah. I, I'm really, really interested in, because I think, you know, we are in the middle of this digital revolution, a cultural yes. revolution. Yes. What, what, what are the consumers of the future going to want? What are they going to want to read? What are they going to want to consume? Kind of. So, so in terms of what's on my mind, the plans, my, my plans are really understanding those people better, the consumers of the future, and and also understanding for you or me as like sort of middle aged yeah, people, yeah, like what, yeah. what are we going to be doing in five years time? What are we going to be doing ten years time? What what, what are we going to want? So consumers of the future, and and then how broad we can be as a publisher. Um, yeah, those, and you see that, don't you? Points. See the whole shift. I'm I'm not on TikTok mainly because I can't do the flossing thing. I look like my dad. I look like my dad. My yeah. wife likes me. I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm not going. But uh, mainly because I can't do any of the dozens. But also um, you see it in reels and all the short and stuff. And when YouTube, I, uh, one of my, uh, my friends um, works, she's quite high up in YouTube. Anyway, they were talking about how the shift is towards that short stuff right? Because it catches. However, and this is, this runs, I have a little bit of a problem with this and this kind of goes in with meditation, right? Is that the short burst stuff is one thing. And I agree because, you know, I, I enjoy doing it too. My Instagram account is all, all sorts of little bits. However, at some point to go deep, you just have to sit for 30, 40 minutes, either in meditation or in prayer, whatever, whatever, that's, you know, it's a, that's, that's a secular comment, a practice rather than a religious comment, or get deep into a good book. Superficial will only be a certain level. I hope and kind of, yeah, I really hope that still the kind of speed generations, you know, was it Generation Z onwards, the speed generations will at some point still sit down and read maybe not 200,000 words, but a good 65 to 75,000 words, fingers crossed, eh? Well, well, but 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 based on the evidence so far, that is absolutely the case. Oh, really? Um, is it? Yeah, that there there is. We're seeing enormous sales of books to teenagers, okay, um, and physical books as well. Not not audio books, not ebooks, physical books. Yeah, uh, yeah. So and 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 the way they're devouring long form content is really heartening. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we're probably seeing. I think for our generation, like books are a utility, like that's how you get. And I think for that generation, it's like much more of a sort of um, exciting um, sort of way of combating digital fatigue or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a, 
it fulfills a different role, but but they're really into it from what almost, almost what like back to, how cool would it be if it did it? I do think things come, and certainly from a Buddhist perspective, full circle. So we get back to kind of Dickensian shopping for you know waiting outside a bookshop for that kind of book. Uh, maybe it could come back to that. Maybe it being a real luxury and a treat. We've started to really appreciate books again. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be quite a turn. Wow, I really think so. I really think so. Oh, I, I, and also, I mean, book sales are higher than they've ever been. So yeah. so. There's there's a really good, hard and, and hard think, hard books hard book copies as well as all yeah, the other stuff yeah 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 and and I think with the pandemic I think you know with all the obviously horrific things about it one positive thing obviously for us was that people rediscovered their love of reading yeah, yeah. people who hadn't read before started reading people who given up reading started it it was yeah. people realised wow actually. This is something, and I think it really helped. We've had some amazing moving emails from people saying there was a nurse who, who wrote to one of our, our novelists saying, your books helped get me through these awful times. Like these, oh, like, wow. like, like it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. they gave me so much solace and like sort of like escape and kind of, I think, and which you can't necessarily get from a Netflix series no, no, or no. a YouTube no. video or whatever. Yeah. Ah, oh, that, that is. I could another time we'll chat about because uh, I love the uh, symbol. I just I love storycraft, the whole concept, and you'll you'll know this studying English. But the whole idea of how it affects us, you know, the Joseph Campbell stuff, and how it affects us psychologically. How it's more than a story. It's it's more than a who done it. It gets to us. It gets deep into us. It is a type of. I think reading is a type of religion. I will be extreme enough to say that in, in, in a spiritual yeah. thing, you know, out. I completely agree. I and completely I agree. It. I think it fulfills a deep spiritual need. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question. Then I'm going to let you go. Um, one, I ask every guest, this It's an impossible question, but just do your best. One bit of advice. You clearly um, love what you do. Successful doing it. Other people want to do the same. What, bit of uh, wisdom one nugget that people wander away from this podcast going oh that guy david said this one bit of nugget of advice that that will, that will stick in our heads like a mind worm um it's I, I i this is this is a piece of advice uh i did a business course a few years ago and this brilliant tutor called bruce craven gave me this piece of advice and i will pass it on because it's been so helpful to me which is basically be a player not a victim and in any situation, you and I find myself doing this to myself all the time. You have a choice. You can say, God, the world did this awful thing to me today or that person at work. I, you know, was really terrible to me or whatever. Um, and just to try as quickly as you can to flip yourself. No, that's victim. Like, what am I going to to be a player? What am I going to do if that person did that thing? Right. What am I, am I going to find a different job? Am I going to have a conversation with that person? Am I going, like sort of to, to be active rather than passive? you know sort of but be a player not a victim like it never fails me i think as a piece of advice whenever i'm struggling with something or going through something um whenever i get into player mode i i you know i find it very helpful i i knew i was going to like this episode but that was genius we need to get you out of the corporate space and into the book world i'm inspired <laughs> uh david I loved every second of that. For you guys who are listening, um, of course, we do this podcast to help you. Um, I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed that. And for all of you, as ever, I say this every single episode, please take a moment to share this. Not because I need my platform built, all right? <laughs> There's no saving me. But um, mainly because you, there is someone you know 
um, that will benefit from what David and I have spoken about today. So please share, take a moment to comment. And um, as ever, if you have people in your life that you love, kiss them and tell them. And I will see you next time on the Buddhist Millionaire Podcast. Lots of love. Bye.